What if, what if you really knew God's word like you think you do? What if the Christian cliches you say were no longer your foundation, your spiritual attire, so to speak, and instead you replace those worn out words with the life-giving, power-packing word of God, the spiritual essence of your being, the real reason you open your mouth in a display of the mercy and grace of your Father in heaven. You say you are a child of the King, blessed and highly favored. But what if you were placed in a position to have your faith put on trial? I did. On trial, not because I didn't have faith. On trial, because I did. Did I have faith rooted in biblical foundation? Or did I simply have faith that was rooted in Christian cultural acceptance? It's not a blessed and highly favored thing. It's a but God thing. Delivered, saved, anointed, and full of power because of what he says and not because of what I say. So what do I mean? Remember this. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Do I really believe that? Or is that just a spiritual pop the button off of your shirt moment? Am I healed because I said so? Or because I truly believe what he has spoken about healing? Am I blessed simply because I said so? Or because I believe in the promises he has spoken over my life? Our real problem sometimes stems from the reputation of the repetition of our words as a means of convincing ourselves What we have said is true. The truth be told, you cannot walk in truth until your faith has been tried. Our minds want to lay a foundation of faith to establish a root system of belief based solely on what we think, what we've so cleverly spoken, what we give a shout out to others about versus what we know foundationally in our hearts by the Holy Spirit revelation. In other words, our life should not be a cleverly knitted tapestry of Christian cliches we have convinced ourselves to be true, but instead it should reflect a well-defined, deeply rooted conviction of God's word spoken over us by the Holy Spirit. Let's take a look at Jairus in Mark 5, 22 to 43. You can read this later, but I'm going to touch on some places right here. Jairus was a believer. Not only did he have faith, he had position. He was a ruler. He had one as an authority. His little daughter, his only daughter, is gravely ill, and he is in desperate need of healing of his beloved. Obviously, he believes Jesus can help because Jesus is beckoned to the scene. This is not a trial of Jairus' faith, for he is faithful. He believes. Yet while he's waiting for Jesus to do a miracle for his household, a woman with an issue of blood touches the hem of his garment, of Jesus's garment. Well, we all know the story from here. Virtue left Jesus and the woman was healed because of her faith. Verse 34. Yet while Jesus was ministering to the woman with the issue of blood, Jairus's daughter, in fact, has died. Let's look at verse 35. Here we see the unbelief of the one to bring Jairus the news. 
He said, in verse 35, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? See how unbelief has quietly crept in? But look at verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. This is our hope. Jesus knows our frame of mind in all of our circumstances. We may fool ourselves, and we may even fool others of our faith, but we don't fool him. He knew fear and unbelief were waiting at the door of Jairus' heart. Our lips may speak our truth, while our hearts inside quiver with fear. It wasn't unbelief that drew Jesus. Why? Sometimes in our effort to walk in absolute faith, fear sets a stumbling block in our way. Well, let's examine verses 38 through 40. Verses 38 says this, And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. Well, here's our thought here. Many don't mind warming their hands in the fire of your trials and tribulations. Look around you. How many people around you enjoyed the company of unchallenged faith? But what if we, who belong to Christ, what if we reckon with the fact that our faith sometimes seems larger than what it really is in the presence of the unbelieving? But when the reality of a hot fire presents itself in our lives, we don't mind the company of the unbelieving as a means of comfort. If we aren't careful, we will find ourselves denying the existence of the only one who can truly help. Look at verse 39. And when he was come in, he said unto them, Why make you this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleeping. Allow me to paraphrase here. He's saying, where's your faith? Well, look at verse 40. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entereth in where the damsel was lying. So this is where we must do the what if stance. What if I really knew the power of God in my own life, would the faithless be able to stand in my presence? Notice I didn't say unbelieving. I said faithless. Why faithless? They mocked his faith, not his belief. Many people don't mind you believing. They just don't want you to have faith in what you believe. Let's examine another story of belief. The father with the demonically possessed son. We can find that story in Mark 9, verses 17 to 29. These are some dire circumstances. Yet Jesus declared in verse 23, he says to the father, Jesus said unto him, If thou can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And the father, in his desperation, spoke his truth in verse 24. And straightway, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. The father here is responding by saying, I believe, but help me. 
Whoa, can you believe this? Belief and unbelief in the same sentence. Think about this. Desperation brought him healing, not just to him, but to his circumstances. Yet so many of us live this lifestyle. Yep, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good until it comes to me. Here we go, faith on trial. Are we desperate enough to speak our truth and not only find healing for us personally, but healing for our circumstances? Do I really believe? Can I be honest with myself first and declare there are real areas of unbelief in my heart that need a touch from God? What if I put unbelief on the stand? What would it testify of my faith? Am I guilty of areas of unbelief? Let's be honest. We have not because we believe not. Not because we don't believe in Jesus, but because we don't fully believe what our lips have declared over our lives. Each one of us profess Christ as our Savior must know he is our Lord as well. Can we stop pretending we're okay when we struggle with our faith? God forbid someone knows we're in a crisis. But honestly, we all are. 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13 says this, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. So, what if we looked in the mirror, confessed our weaknesses, made a determination to strengthen our faith, thereby increasing our belief? Then we would realize that the enemy would lose valuable ground in our lives. So let me leave you with this. It's time to fight the demon of unbelief with the conviction of God's word for our souls. We need to press on, brothers and sisters. May you have a blessed day.